The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 2. Um, so yeah, the students are headed off to youth camp today, and uh, I, several years ago, I started cooking for them. Now, I used to be a youth pastor. I had this amazing cook. Um, her name was Donna Crayer. She watches online quite a bit now. And so Donna, you may be watching right now. She was amazing, man. I, like she would cook and I'm talking about homemade pizza. Ho- everything was homemade. You have like these, di- I shouldn't be saying this in front of all the kids, but she would make these dinner rolls and breadsticks and like you ate really, really good. And so she's a, an incredible cook. But what was a miracle is um, like we'd take 60 kids to camp. And she, I would give her, she would go and put it all together. And I said, well, how much is this going to be? And she'd be like, eh, $300, like, 300 bucks. How are you doing that? Because I'm the cook and it cost me about 1200. Uh, and and uh, anyway, she's, uh, she's an amazing person. And so I always look forward, um, you know, to going to camp. It's a, it's a good experience for me. It's very, it's kind of just a way to serve the, the body in a different way. And so I enjoy it. And we eat really well. Like uh, we do a good job of uh, feeding the kids and we want them to at least feel like uh, they're at home. And so we are, are ready for that. We're, we're planning to take a school bus, man. Like uh, we have somebody who has a contact with um, some of these school bus companies, and they got us a school bus with an air conditioner. One year, we took one that didn't have an air conditioner, and the driver drove about 55 miles an hour. It was awful. Of course, I was not in that bus, uh, so thank the Lord for that. Uh, but they, they finally, I think I left an hour after they did, and I got to the camp the same time they did. Uh, but anyway, so this, they, they got one with a, a, an air conditioner. And, and right like at the beginning of the week, man, the, the company just backed out on us. And so we have 40-something people to get to camp, and we're like, uh, our only option <laughs> was to get um, a charter. And it was a lot more expensive, obviously, but we got it at a discounted rate. And so the kids are going to be rolling down in style today. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd like to make an extra contribution to help offset that, we'd love that. Uh, no, we, we, we've got the budget to do it, but it, it would be helpful. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so one of the fun things about road trips uh, is uh, what I like to do is when my kids doze off, like I catch Joel in the back and, and he's dozing off. <laughs> I, like to, I like to hit the brakes and say, wake up! Whoa, like they think we're hitting them, uh, you know, having a wreck. So anyway, it's always fun to kind of startle somebody and wake them up. Not, not the wisest thing to do, but it is fun. Uh, and so that's kind of what the Lord does in this passage, man, as he writes to the church at Sardis. He tells them that they need to wake up. And so like we look at this and, um, you know, our culture is uh, sort of enamored, enamored the last 10 years or so of the zombies. It's kind of weird how fascinated we are with that whole uh, idea in pop culture. They're everywhere. And that's kind of what happened to this church, not zombies that way, but spiritual zombies. And Sardis was, um, it was one of these uh, great cities of primitive history. It had um, steep sides that could not be 
uh, scaled, and so it was like a fortress, if you will. It was, you couldn't, you just, a person couldn't, uh, uh, an invading enemy just couldn't go and invade them. As a matter of fact, it is said that a, childhood of, a child could have defended it simply by dropping stones down on the enemy that was trying to ascend it. And so it, could, it was easy to defend this place. Um, and so it was more like a robber's stronghold uh, in, in times of, of peace, people would go there and, and they would uh, kind of hide in that, in that area. But it had become kind of inconvenient because its repu- reputation had preceded it. It was, it was a city of the past, and it lived on its ancient prestige rather than its suitability for the modern day in which they were in during the time of Rome leading the world. And so it always was celebrating um, its, its past. Now, what's fascinating is though it was impenetrable, it was captured due to inintention on a couple of occasions throughout its history. Um, one time, a soldier dropped his helmet from up on top, and he, wanted to, like, he went to go and retrieve it, and the enemy saw him, an enemy spy saw him, retrieve it, and he saw the way up to scale up the back. And so at the evening later, uh, they used that path while the, the entire city was sleeping, and they invaded it and overtook them. So there are a couple of experiences like that that had happened in its uh, history. And so we look at that, like the Lord is saying something very important. In all of these letters, he uses like what's happening in the city along with um, what's happening in the church, there's always a parallel going on there, and the Lord is trying to get their attention. So it's against this backdrop as we start to read here. I said chapter 2. We're actually in chapter 3. So chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And this is our, what is this, letter number 5 of 7. And so he says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the Lord comes to John, and he gives him this word for this church, which is a word for all churches throughout all time, and specifically even applies to us today. And it's about um, finishing what you start and not falling into this comatose or this zombie-like state spiritually. The seven stars are the leaders of the church, uh, the seven different pastors. The seven spirits are not seven individual spirits. Um, They are just the whole complete Holy Spirit. He is in every one of the churches, and He is omniscient. He's perfect, and it refers to the power of God exerting itself in the church. 
And so Christ is saying to this church, wake up, be watchful, and finish what you started. And really what he's saying is your performance doesn't match your promise. You made a promise to me, and the way you're performing right now, these two things don't line up. You're not ready if I were to come back. I'd be like a thief who stumbled in on or came in on Sardis and invaded that city. You just wouldn't be ready. You're asleep. And the reason they were dead, this is very important for us. The reason they were dead on the inside, they looked like they were alive, but they were dead on the inside is because they relied on their past reputation. So they relied on all of the former battles they had had and, and the victories they had won, and they were always looking back. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. And so that's our first takeaway. Relying on past spiritual wins leads to present spiritual losses. One of the things that we do in discipleship is we always ask, hey, where, where are you winning and where are you losing? Like, not, not where did you win and where did you lose, but where are you? And so it's a question that's really important about keeping a person spiritually alert about what's happening in their lives going on around them. One of the things that I find really interesting about this church is when I came back in 2011, and the uh, leadership had reached out to me again. The church, the church was dead. Okay, and there was just a handful of people here. Incredible location, like strategically placed. You couldn't ask for a better spot for a ministry to be placed than where this this building is. Thousands of people live within a couple of miles of the church. Uh, so that was fascinating to me, and I wonder, you know, why, why is this, what, what happened to this church? And if you read back historically, there are a lot of really cool um, documents. Like I have a book um, that I kept, a book of rec- records, and it says, uh, you know, I can't, I'm going to make up the name, but it may say Thomas J. Alford, and this is written in like calligraphy. Thomas J. Alford, joined by confession of faith, June 6, 1875. I'm like, that is so cool. And, uh, and so anyway, then the, the church, you know, it started, it was Llewellyn's Pub down here. That was formerly the church uh, that this, this church was uh, a part of. And they built this place in 1974, sold that building, moved down here. I had been told that they had a stipulation that that when they sold that building, it could never be a church. So it became a bar. <laughs> so anyway, not a good uh, policy, but sometimes churches think that way. They think competitively. And so anyway, they, they were innovative, man. That church down there, the, the history of that church, if you ever go into Wellens, it, it's two buildings put together. And what had happened is when they um, started early on, there were two different groups that met in the same building. I think they were Presbyterians and Methodists, and they would alternate between um, who met on A Sunday and who met on B Sunday. So the one group would meet on A Sunday, they wouldn't meet the next week, and the second group would meet until the second group got up enough money to build their building, and they built a building down the street. And so they got their own pastor, and they went on, and they both had Sunday, Sunday services every week. Well, then one of the groups lost their pastor, and they missed the old people, and so they wanted to merge back together. So they used... Um, they lifted the building up and put it on logs and used a team of mules to drag it back across town and put it back together. And that's, that's Llewellyn's, right? So that's why you go in there and there's two different levels. And so that's innovative to think that they would do that all the way back then. And then they, 
uh, grew and, you know, in 1974 built this building, certainly had a lot of life. And so what happened that when I, when I, when they found me, they had gone through another merger and still the church wasn't getting any traction, continued to um, decline. Why did they only have a handful of people when they found me? One of the things that's interesting about this church when I got here is I went through the building and everything was memorialized. There were plant stands dedicated in the memory of. The elevator was dedicated in the memory of. There was plaques on the back wall that had the birth date of the member and their death date. There was a piano that sat up here dedicated in the memory of. There was a bench out in front dedicated in the memory of. And all they were doing is they started to celebrate the past. So all of these people were very innovative people within the community. Overland Park starts to annex places in. And I think what happened is they started resisting the change and like they stood up against it and, and wanted to kind of have that mentality of you're not going to change us. Like, and they were, they, were, they were a strong group of people. One of the reasons we have a cut in the median is because when Overland Park annexed this, uh, the, this area, Stanley Inn, they wanted to put that median all the way down, and the church went to the city hall and fought them and said, oh, you're devaluing our property. So we're the only place within a mile, the only business here you can turn straight in off of Metcalf. Amen. Thank you, church, for doing that, right? Uh, and so like, people turn around in our church a lot. It's a, it's a place where they turn around. But my point is this. I, I believe, I don't know this with certainty, but just looking at some of the data is that I believe what happened with the church is they started looking at, like, they had these really incredible, innovative people, and one would die, and they would celebrate his life, and, and what you should do, right? But they weren't continuing to be innovative from a ministry mindset. And so they continued to think about the past victories instead of having new victories. And anytime you fall into that camp um, spiritually as an individual, you're going to start down this journey of, of a slow death. And you can't, like the only way to have life in Christ is for it to be continual. That's why he, he describes as, as eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts when we get saved. Like I'm living my eternal life right now. And so I will go on to live spiritually forever and ever with the Lord. And so life is a, a wellspring. It springs up from within. It's something that's constantly to happen. And so uh, the, the, the city, Sardis, here as we look at it, it was more concerned about its appearance than the reality. It was more concerned about how they looked on the outside as opposed to what was going on on the inside. They were playing church and they quit moving forward. And I think that's what happened a little bit to this church historically. They had become comfortable and cozy and they, had, they started looking like a museum instead of a place of life and, and rescue and healing, a hospital, if you will. Everything uh, looked amazing, but there was no life in it. And that's one of the things about this building, man. This building has, has been well-maintained. It's incredible um, uh, how, how well the building, the good shape that it is in. And so they did a great job of just taking care of it, constantly keeping it looking good in front of the community, but not innovative, innovating, but keeping it looking the same over and over and over and over. And that's what happened in Sardis. And the greatest danger to our 
Spiritual vitality is becoming comfortable and cozy. One of the things we will teach you if you get invited into a discipleship group, and I hope all of you do, and I hope all of you start this journey, is one of the things you will be taught is that this is, this is not small group. Like, it's not small group. Small group's comfortable and cozy. Small group's all about relationships, and, and small groups have their place, but that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is to keep you shook up. Discipleship is to keep you alert. Discipleship is to keep you in the battle instead of relying on past victories when you became a Christian, when you were baptized. Like a lot of times it's fascinating. You ask people, well, tell me about your journey with Jesus. And they'll say, well, I became a Christian then and I was baptized then. And that's all they got. And that's because the church has conditioned people to sort of walk in this thing that it's all about the conversion. Is once you are converted to Christianity, then things are okay and you, you, you've made it in and now you're a Christian. And so you just live your life and you go to church on Sunday. And that's not a picture of the New Testament at all. The New Testament paints, man, the, the disciples were constantly laying their lives down. And so in discipleship, we don't want you getting comfortable and cozy. We want to lean into you. We want to teach you how to allow the Holy Spirit to lean in you, into you, how for, you could hear the Holy Spirit leaning into you, and then you go teach somebody else how to do that. And that's, that, like, if you read um, the Gospels and the book of Acts and, and all of the New Testament epistles, you'll see that that's what they're doing over and over. And as a matter of fact, as we read Revelation, that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming and he's doing some intense discipleship by giving John a revelation, and he's speaking directly to the body of Christ, these churches, and even us today. And so confidence in what you have experienced instead of what you are experiencing is, is dangerous and often leads to ruin. That's the first takeaway. Don't rely on past uh, spiritual wins or you'll end up with present spiritual losses. Here's the second thing. Everyone has a weak spot. Everyone has a weak spot. Though the city appeared to be impenetrable, it had a weak spot. And just like that city, we are the same way. And you have to know that you have weak spots. Um, sometimes you can see them and sometimes you cannot. And you need to know that they're not there. Uh, yesterday, um, Faith wanted, she's wanted to learn how to drive. And the way our record is going in the Holbrook household with vehicles, I really don't want her to drive. <laughs> so, but uh, I was working with her yesterday and um, she thought we were just going to be in the parking lot. And I told her, I said, pull right on out there and Metcalf. And so we pulled and we did a circle and then I started to teach her. We pulled back into the church parking lot after doing the, the kind of one square mile. And I said, listen, what you have to understand, one of the most important things about driving is your mirrors, Abby. <laughs> so you got a rear view mirror and you got these two. I said, the first thing you do when you get in a car is you adjust this one. And you get these adjusted over here. And they say, you don't look at the mirrors. You use your peripheral vision. Anytime you're changing lanes, you look up there and you can see. And, and, and you always like monitor these things, not just when you want to change lanes. They say, you need to know if some knucklehead is on a rice burner and he's come flying down through here. You need to know he's coming. Y'all know what a rice burner is, right? Okay. And so um, like, and so, like here, he, he, as, as, we're, as we're doing that, I said, you need to know about these things. And I said, but here's something very important, Faith, you need to understand. The mirrors have a blind spot. And so you got to sometimes look over your shoulder, sometimes look that way. 
if you ever have any doubt. And that's the way it is, spiritually speaking, in our lives. We have blind spots. We have weak spots. We have spots that we need to constantly monitor and think about, or they will be the very thing that causes us a downfall. And that's why Christ says to this church, wake up. Like, wake up. You're in a weak spot right here. And we are more vulnerable than we realize. We're, and uh, I, 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 would, I would say, men, men like, you're... In every area of your life, you have weak spots. So as a Christian, you have weak spots. Um, you have weak spots in your marriage. You need to guard that. You need to know um, that every man has a Bathsheba, and every woman has a King David. What is that? It means there's somebody who will come along, and all of a sudden, you could find yourself attracted to them. It's a weak spot. And you need to know about it. You need to know about these things that happen. You say, wait, 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 wait. That could never happen. I'm sure that's what David thought. That could never happen to me. That's what everybody that it happens to thinks. It'll never happen to me. You got to know that it can happen to you. It happens to Christians all the time. And just because you're a believer doesn't mean that um, you are immune from temptation. As a matter of fact, sometimes the enemy will throw everything he has at you in order to get you out of the battle or take you out. And so this church here... Christ says to them to wake up because they had become spiritual zombies. They were more concerned about tradition than the spiritual reality of what was going on around them. They were relying on their past victories instead of their present ones. They didn't have any present victories, so they just kept thinking about the past victories. They were more concerned about what people thought instead of what God said. And that's a problem in the church. When we start getting concerned about what everybody thinks about us instead of what the Lord said in his word and what he thinks about us, we are broken. Like we are in a place where we're going to get jacked up by the enemy. We're so vulnerable. We, it doesn't matter what other people think about us. What matters is what the Lord thinks about us and what the word says. And if we will align those two things, then people will think the right things about us. And if they don't, it's okay. Because we're walking in a place of freedom with the Lord. And so the Lord says to them, when you aren't alert, you're susceptible to a fall and you will fall hard. So he says, wake up and stay alert. And I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the enemy, man, that's part of his modus operandi is especially, this is why whenever you start really getting serious about the Lord, you can start feeling like, man, my life, some things are a little more complicated in my life um, spiritually. It is because you're getting movement in the kingdom and more of the kingdom, like, like we're to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we begin to be the conduit that the Holy Spirit starts to bring down um, the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we get engaged and start having these victories, we do become a larger target for the enemy. And that's why it's important for us to stay alert. But we're in the game, man. And so some would say, man, maybe I shouldn't get in the game. Then I don't have to worry about the enemy. Yeah, you might have to worry about um, not being in the book of life either. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying here. Wake up. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter if you're a member of the first church of Sardis. If you're not in my kingdom, you're not in my kingdom. And people in my kingdom are awork, uh, alert and awake. And so he says, man, like wake up and realize what's going on around you. And here's the, the third takeaway. Weak spots are more visible from the inside than the outside. Okay? So everyone has a weak spot. 
And weak spots are more visible from the inside than the outside. Just think about this guy who dropped this helmet. What was going on there? Well, remember, he's at a place defending a city that is easy to defend. So he's probably been posted up on watch. And he's probably just like, man, ain't nobody getting in here. I'm so tired. I worked so hard yesterday. And he just leaned back. And then, clunk, 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 clunk. he's like, oh, snap. What am I going to do now? I can't tell them I dropped my helmet. I can't go back to the guys. I don't have a helmet on. I'm incomplete in my uniform. And so he started thinking about what everybody else was going to think about him. Instead of thinking about an enemy being able to observe him descend down the mountain to retrieve his helmet. He wasn't thinking about the enemy at all. He was thinking about his reputation. He was thinking about what everybody else would think about him being a knucklehead and having a boneheaded move and dropping his helmet. Instead of asking for them to issue him another helmet because he didn't want to be embarrassed, he decided to go down and get the helmet. And as he went down, somebody observed him and followed the path back up, and it cost them countless lives. And so he knew where the weak spot was, but he was more concerned about it, what everyone else thought instead of about his mistake. So what he didn't stop to think about is was the enemy watching. So we've got to do that. Now, uh, what... What I, want to, what I want us all to hear, it's like we, we, we have to be in tune with the fact that the enemy is always watching. And the, the weak spot is more easily seen from the inside than the outside. Now, this is, this is really, really important. There are some battles that you will face in your life that you cannot win by yourself. And you will keep trying to win them by yourself, but you can't. And that's why Jesus gave you the church, a gathering of people to get around you that you can walk with. And that's why we as a church focus on discipleship, is we want to we get comfortable in this vulnerable environment where you can sort of open up and you can tell somebody, I've got a weak spot right here. I'm worried about this. I don't know how to get through it. I need some help. And so sometimes that's all it takes is opening up to a brother or sister, and you will get movement in that area. But a lot of times, nobody else knows about how weak you are in this particular area except you, the Lord, and the enemy himself, okay? So nobody knows. So what you do when you open up and you say, man, I'm a little weak here, then what you're doing is strengthening your numbers, of people around you, people who are praying about this other than yourself, and people that are pouring truth over you and saying, man, like memorize this this passage and start quoting it to yourself and keeping you encouraged along the way. And as you do that, what you will find is you become a very powerful person within the kingdom of God the more that you can identify your weak spots and share them with others. As a matter of fact, um, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says he glories in his weaknesses, not in his strengths. Because as he looks at his weaknesses, he realizes that that's where Christ is made strong. But we as a group of people, as a culture in America, we don't glory in our weaknesses. As a matter of fact, we don't want anybody to know we have them. Which is anti-New Testament. Like we, we should be okay with that. And let me tell you, this is a, a very powerful thing you can do in your marriage. Um, if, you, if you know you have a weakness in your marriage, the first person you ought to tell is your spouse. 
If you begin to struggle with an area, um, if you're a man and you're struggling with your eyes and you get sucked into this um, portal of pornography, the first person you should tell is your bride. If you're, a, if you're a woman and you start feeling all of a sudden you have a temptation about another relationship, the first person you should tell is your husband. You say, what? If you don't, you're just going to let that thing, you're going to try to win that battle all on your own. And what's going to happen is it's going to be the very thing that destroys your marriage because you can't win every battle by yourself. That's why we have armies, and that's why the Lord put us together, and the two are better than one. You say, when you share, see, if you don't tell your spouse about what you're struggling with and your weakness, you're keeping it from half of yourself because the two are to be one. So we are one, and so when I open up to my bride, she cares for me more than anybody else, and she knows she can trust me, and she knows I'm not coming to threaten our, her with our relationship over this. I'm coming out of weakness, right? And if, if she comes to me, I'm the same way, and so that's the way the Lord has set it up. The two shall be one, and so we can go beyond that, man. We can go beyond that to our spiritual family when we're struggling with different areas of our lives. We're struggling over um, chemical dependency or, or how, much we're, you know, uh, how much we're consuming. Maybe we're getting inebriated, and it's out of control in our lives, man, and and we're like, man, I'm stumbling here. And we open up to somebody and it helps us. And so this is the way the Lord has set these things up for us to um, uh, realize. But we have to understand, man, that the enemy or the, the weak spots are more visible from the inside to the outside. So we can, we can build this sort of shell around ourselves and everybody think we're okay. But what good does it do for everybody to think we're okay if we're not Okay. What's the purpose of making everybody think you're okay if you're not okay? Because you're not okay. Okay? <laughs> God, let me get to the end of this sermon. <laughs> Verses 4 through 6 says, um, it, 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 we, he starts talking about, yet yeah, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will be like them. He will be uh, dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in these pagan religions, this is interesting. It was forbidden to approach the pagan gods in soiled clothes or stained garments. So they were obsessed with their clothing in their outward appearance, looking right, to be able to go to these things and offer these sacrifices. And again, it didn't matter what was going on in the inside. They were totally focused on the outside. And so the Lord says to them, man, there are some of you, there are a few people who have not soiled their clothes. There are a few of you um, who have white garments on. And he was, the, the few he's referring to are the people whose hearts were right with him. And they weren't so freaked out about what everybody thought on, uh, about them on the outside, but they were concerned about what was happening on the inside. And the Sardis Christians were um, preoccupied with their out outward appearance and not their inner purity toward Christ. But there's always this remnant. And so the Lord addresses them and he encourages them. And everybody else was member, were members of the first church of the zombies. And so the big idea for you today is like, don't be a spiritual zombie. Like, wake up, man. If you're, if you're asleep right now, wake up. 
Just wake up because you're in a very dangerous and vulnerable place. So don't wake up for me. Don't wake up so that I could be a pastor who leads a, a, a great church. No, wake up for yourself. Wake up for your children. Wake up for your wife. Wake up for your husband. You're asleep, man. Like you, you may appear that everything is uh, together on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lot of brokenness. And, and so you have to wake up from that. And, and there's, a, there's a way, um, if you have been playing church or you counsel someone who is, we see sort of a model right here in this passage of Scripture. There are five things to do. Here's the first one. Wake up. Okay? So that's kind of what happens in discipleship is we, we capitalize on them, those moments and we lean into people. And it's a moment where he's like, hey! Like, it's, and sometimes a person, it could be like you're going down the road and the person hits the brakes and says, wah! And you'd wake up. And you like look at something, you're like, what am I doing? And so then the second thing is he says, strengthen what remains. So he's like, there's some stuff in there that's good, that's growing. You need to key in on that stuff and you need to just get rid of all this other garbage that doesn't matter. You're doing all these things that have nothing to do with what's happening on the inside of your soul. He said, just get rid of that and focus on the few things that you are doing that strengthen the inner quality or the inner being of who you are. And then he says, remember what you received. So think back on what the Lord did in your life when he forgave you of your sins and you became a follower of Jesus. Just stop and remember that. And sometimes you get away from the Lord and you're like, I don't know how to get back. Just stop and remember where you were when you met the Lord and how your life changed, how he came in and just meditate on that. And then you can begin to strengthen. That is what remains and you start to work on that. And the, the fourth thing is to repent. What does repentance mean? It doesn't mean I say, Jesus, I repent today. That's not what it means. Repent means to change your mind about something. Repentance is a, is a word, a theological term that carries so much meaning. It's I'm going this way and I turn and change my mind and I start to think differently about something, but I'm also broken over what I've been doing. And I repent of it. I, I have a sorrow a godly sorrow about what is happening and how I've been living. And I repent before the Lord and I tell him I'm sorry. And so there's real remorse. I don't just say words. Words get you nowhere if they have no meaning behind them. It's the weight of the words. It's the truth of the words that bring about transformation. And so repentance is a real important thing. And then obey. Repent and then obey. What does that mean? It means do what the Lord's asking you to do. Don't repent and repent and repent and repent and repent and repent. If you keep repenting without ever obeying, you're in prison. You're in prison. Obedience is the way to freedom. Repent and obey. Now, you got to keep repenting until you gain freedom in something, but walk out the obedience. As you walk out the obedience, the freedom from heaven will start to flow in your life, and people will recognize that you are a citizen in heaven. <laughs> and that's why the book of life is talked about so much, is that these cities used to keep a roll of who were the citizens, sort of like a census, who is able to vote, who is able to do um, these other things. The book of life ensures that you are a citizen of the kingdom. And Jesus says, I will confess my name, your name before the divine court as you are brought up in that judgment. And it'll be like, no, man, this one is mine. I snatched this one up. 
He's mine. And so how do we know these people? They're people who walk in a life of surrender to the Lord. They're not, we don't know them by their perfection. We know them by the perfection of the Savior who's in them, who's working out his perfection as they live and obey. Not as they just repent, as they repent and believe. They repent and they obey. They walk out their obedience. And then they start to love each other in a deep, powerful love. And they start to sacrifice for people around them. And people go, man, those, those people are different. And they don't say, well, they are members of this church or they're members of that church. They say, man, those people are different. They look like, like, like Jesus talked. And that's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. It doesn't mean to have your name on a roll at a church. It means to have your name written on the roll of heaven. And so my encouragement to you today is make sure you're having some spiritual wins and don't just celebrate the, the ones in the past. Recognize that you have a weak spot. Realize that those weak spots are more visible from the inside than the out. So sometimes it's helpful to open up and share with others. And don't be a zombie. Like, wake up, man. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.